You're listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. Today's episode is sponsored by Elliott Health System, providing quality, compassionate care to our community for over 130 years. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. For our second sequence of episodes, Dave and I were joined by Arthur Briggs, U.S. Navy chaplain. Along with serving our country, Art is also a board member on the Homeland Heroes Foundation. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Thanks for joining us tonight. And um, give it, can you give us a little bit, I know you, you've filled out the paperwork for us, but can you talk about um, what you do in the Army, what got you started, and um, a little bit of your backstory? Yeah, so I'm sure it's really confusing. Like this guy was in the army and then he's in the Navy, but served with the Marine Corps and now he's with the Navy. And, uh, like, what is that? How does that happen? And for somebody that's yeah. not, you know, uh, walking the path of the military would be like, that's really confusing. So I'm from upstate New York, a small town, and, uh, there's more cows than people. I think that's still a true statement. Uh, that's like small from, Texas where I'm from. Well, yeah, you, you expect that in Texas, right? Uh, but in the, people are like, you're from New York? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, what's, what's the city like? And I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. Way away from the city. Um, it's kind of like New Hampshire, you know, I'd say it's very comparable. And I enlisted in the Army at 17 years old. And I tell people I enlisted in 2001. They're like, oh, you enlisted after the towers fell. And I'm like, no, I enlisted in July before the towers fell. And I was really like... I need to get out of this place or I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I wasn't that great of a human being. It is what it is. Uh, enlisted at 17, went to basic training while I was in basic training. Uh, I kid you not, my drill instructors, uh, who or drill sergeants, whatever we called them, then I was scared to death of them. They were not human beings. But 17 years old, like 17 years old, and you're in this environment where somebody controls every aspect of your life tells you your value as a human being on a daily basis or hourly. And uh, I'm scared of these machines that we call drill sergeants and they come in and one of them is weeping. And I'm like, Oh, certainly the, certainly the world's ending, you know? Uh, and to come to find out the towers fell and the Pentagon had gotten hit and then he lost a friend in the Pentagon, or at least thought he lost a friend in the Pentagon. And you know, they told us and they're like, you know, I think we had uh, men and women, and I say that term loosely because we were 17, 18, 19 years old. And they're like, listen, you're going to war. And I'm like, okay, this isn't what I signed up for. You know, I joined the army. I know I joined the army, but I joined in peacetime. <laughs> so I was going to 10th Mountain Division. I was a diesel mechanic. So then 63 Bravo, uh, now 91 Bravo. Wheeled vehicle mechanic is the the term. And I was like, oh, at least I'm not infantry, right? Um, and they're like, yeah, you're going to 10th Mountain Division, which is uh, a light infantry battalion. And at the time, MTO, which is uh, the allowance of equipment and personnel, allowed for one mechanic per infantry battalion for a light infantry battalion. So I got there and I couldn't, I, I, I was telling you like, 
I was such a screw up of a human being. I, I couldn't show up to a formation on time, even though I lived like right inside the building where the formation was at. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't shave my face. Like this, these are requirements by the military. So I was like the, the, the turd burglar is uh, what, what they would lovingly refer to me as. And I'm talking, I got, I got yelled at every day. It was amazing. Um, and they were trying to shape me to do better things, but fast forward, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Afghanistan in 2003 with, uh, an infantry battalion and we fly out of Fort drum in military aircraft with military equipment on the aircraft. And we land in Kabul and we do what they call a combat landing. So I am 19 years old at this point or 18. I can't remember. Oh, three. So 19, I'm married. I got married at 18 years old because that's a wise decision. That's what all the young men and <laughs> women do. And I'm leaving my brand new bride and I'm flying into a, a combat zone. And I have a five ton vehicle in front of me chained down into an aircraft. And we're like, we're just really coming into the airfield as, as hard as you could imagine doing these circles and what what a combat landing is if if i understand it correctly they drop flares but what they don't they don't tell the soldiers that so you're sitting in like this cargo net and buckled in and i i remember watching a lieutenant which is a, a young man that went to college is the only difference so he's 21 i'm 19 and he takes his k-pot off which is a kevlar and starts vomiting in it, like just getting it. And I'm like, oh, what is going on? And then as the plane is banking and we're dropping from X number of feet to the ground, uh, they, they let out the flares. So you hear thump, 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 thump. And you're like, yep, I'm, I'm a dead man. This is what's happening. And before you know it, it's you're on the ground and we're unmounting and rolling off in Bagram and on our way to Kabul in 2003, you know, uh, that's how it started. I ended up doing two more tours in Iraq, a year long, each one in Baghdad with the same infantry battalion. I PCS and, and came to a transportation battalion and, uh, it, it's just wild. So I ended up doing 10 and a half years in the army. After I got back from my third combat deployment, they're like, hey, I actually got an email on my birthday. said, you've been selected for drill sergeant duty. And I was like, yes, I get to go yell at people. This is going to be amazing. Um, but I didn't understand is that it's a drill sergeant or recruiting duty. And when I called and understood it better, I was going to be a recruiter. So I ended up arguing with my detailer. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, not cut out to be a recruiter. Uh, not just, I'm just not capable of doing that. And he said, listen, you've been to combat for two and a half years. This is going to be a good break for you. And I'm like, okay, we'll I'll do it. I tell you what, uh, I'd recruited for the army from 2008 to 2011. And I would have done another tour gladly than to do recruiting duty. Uh, very challenging, but and it, it, it's all good. I ended up uh, finishing my bachelor's degree and ended up in seminary because I gave my life to Christ Jesus in, in this bizarre situation that is far deeper than we have time for today. But if you can digest the fact that I went through a tremendous amount of internal strife that had nothing to do with combat, 
and everything to do with uh, figuring out that I am not the center of the universe and finding out that, that God or a divine creator, Jesus is, uh, that's where I was. And man, I, I remember distinctly being like, I want to be a chaplain. I want to be a guy that is, uh, that is there for an advocate for a person that is caring for these young men and women that really do serve our nation from various places in America. So yeah. How's that for a start? That works. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So what were some of the challenges that you faced being a recruiter? Um, I remember very distinctively going to lunch when I was in high school and and there's recruiters there and having all the guys doing the the pull-ups and seeing how many they can do. So it looks, can you talk some more about that? Sure. So I promise you the guys doing pull-ups were most likely Marines, you know, uh, they <laughs> love pull-ups. So I'm no kidding. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I'm not, I'm not a tiny dude, probably six foot one and on a good day, 230 pounds. Um, and I just, I just got done with a tour with the Marines and uh, chaplains had this opportunity to earn a fleet Marine force pin. And that just means like I was a chaplain of Marines and they accepted me and I accepted them. Uh, it's, a, it's a great deal. But one of the things you have to do is pull-ups. And I'd watch these skinny guys do like 40 pull-ups. And I'm like, oh, a tough guy, huh? You know, like a real tough guy. And I go up there and do one and feel like my I ripped my shoulders and my back in half. But uh, God bless the Marine Corps. They're incredible human beings and uh, very loved by me. Uh, recruiting is super challenging. So 2008, if I can paint the picture for you. Then the candidate Barack Obama was campaigning against President George W. Bush and and really campaigning against the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the news media was like, hey, X number of soldiers died on a regular basis. Um, And I'm recruiting in Chesapeake, Virginia at the time. And Chesapeake is a uh, beautiful town. It's a Navy town. And so one of the things recruiters got to do is you got to call 75 homes a night and you pick up the phone and through, I, I listen, like I don't get into the politics of everything, but we have access to the phone numbers of high school students for whatever reason. So you pick up the phone you're like, Hey, this is Staff Sergeant Arthur Briggs calling from the U S army recruiting station. May I talk to you? You know, it, it, there's a script and uh, you'd get anything from like, hey, thanks for your service. I appreciate what you do, but you're not going to talk to my child. And I'm like, OK, well, thank you for your time. And then you'll get the, hey, go after yourself. Or how does it feel to be a baby killer? You know, stuff like that. And uh, it doesn't really affect you after the first like two days. So uh, and then I had one guy that came up to me and it was the only time that I really dealt with anything malicious and he pointed his finger at me yelled at me spit on me and called me a baby killer and come to find out like i i really really have like a, a passion for people i think the people's reactions are generally out of ignorance or or pain you know pain yeah so I, when i talked to this kid it turns out like he you know he had broken the laws a young young man and probably would take it back if he gave him the opportunity to but he doesn't have any rights he's a felon He's just angry with the government in general, and I, I can understand it to a degree. And after, like, he calmed down, uh, we had a good conversation. So the challenges were, you know, 
<laughs> finding somebody that wanted to join the military that was willing to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. So I, at that point, I was trying to follow Christ the best I could. I definitely made huge mistakes. I was uh, not not a perfect person at all. I would hate to paint that picture. But um, when I was recruiting, I tried not to lie to these kids. And they'd be like, hey, I want to go to... I remember I had one kid come in the office and he says, I want to join the Army, but I don't want to go to war. And I was like, hey, the Air Force is right down the hall. You know, I'll take you down there. Um, that's a joke for all the Air Force veterans, you know. Uh, just kidding, kind of. <laughs> I'm an Air Force veteran and an Army So I, I can relate. It's funny. Uh, well, I'm surprised you didn't stay in. Life is easy in the Air Force. Well, I'm, uh, I learned the hard way, I guess. Because I'm the after the Air Force. Oh, yeah. You're like, hey, can I go back in time? Like, where's that Back to Future thing? <laughs> right. <laughs> Where can I find that DeLorean? Um, yeah. So, it, it, you know, to maintain your integrity and to help people. So the, the neat thing is the military offers people that are in a desperate situation an opportunity to do something great. So I like, I really loved it. Like I would say that there's people, I would say that there's people, I, I can say with truth that there's people that would say like, Art Briggs gave me an opportunity and I am where I am because he spent the time and was honest with me about the army. And that, that's the beauty of it. But there was, it was hard. You know, I, I remember one kid out of Norfolk, uh, Virginia, <laughs> You know, it'll probably haunt me for the rest of my days. Um, I won't say his name, but he couldn't pass the ASVAB. And he desperately wanted to improve his life. And I, I just couldn't get him over the hump to pass the ASVAB. One, it wasn't my job. And two, like as much as I tried or gave him resources and tools and pointed him in the direction of you know, uh, his guidance counselor and stuff like that. No, I just couldn't get him to pass the ASVAB. And, you know, it breaks your heart that somebody that wants to serve our nation can't simply because you know, they don't have the aptitude uh, to do that. Yeah, and then the, hour, the, the hours were crazy, right? Like, I went out there in 08, and I think I was working from like 8 to, you know, really late at night. I don't want to throw uh, Army recruiting under the bus. So I'll just keep it at that. In, in reality, like, I think it's facts now, but five army recruiters killed themselves within a month. I remember because I was in the schoolhouse. I was in BNOC, which is like a leadership school. And I, I came out of that school. And like when I went in, uh, I was so glad to be out of recruiting for a period of time. And when I came out, the, the, all the hours have changed. They're like, you're going to work from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that's a, which doesn't work in recruiting, by the way. You can't get a hold of high school kids during those hours. Um, but it was just a, such a severe change. But it, it was because five human beings that were doing the best they could for our nation just couldn't bear the stress or pressure anymore. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Yeah, that's that's something that most people don't really realize is some of the stress that that can take place when you're trying to perform your duty. Uh, and your recruiting is a high pressure, very high pressured area. Um, you mentioned something about um, you know the young man that you couldn't you know that wasn't able to pass his ASVAB. And a lot of people don't realize that there is an actual test that you need to take to be able to enter the military. 
And uh, they, they think that just about anybody that walks in the door will be taken. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on those points because it's, it's not as all inclusive as people seem to think it is. No. Yeah, you're right. And it's wild. I think like uh, the army actually just presented like, it's such a small percentage of our, of our nation that's actually capable of serving. I, I, I would, I would be guessing at the number cause I can't remember, but it's so small. It's startling. Like where we're at as a nation, either because of aptitude or because of obesity or because of, um, because of a criminal activity. Right. Right. You know, there, there's absolutely standards, you know, and just like any other industry as demand changes like OIF, OEF, we changed the standard in order to accommodate the need, right? And I think that's a capitalist type of strategy. But certainly today, if you walked into a recruiting office and said, like, I want to join the Coast Guard, the Marine Corps, the Army, the Air Force, did I miss any of them? Navy, you'd be surprised at what you'd have to do in order to be um, qualified, let alone enlist or commission. And I think a lot of people don't also, they don't understand is that, you know, the ASFAB, that's the the aptitude test that that you take in order to to find out what would be a good fit for you uh, in a career wise for the military. And uh, some people don't even understand that aspect, you know, that, oh, I have to take a test to figure out what I'm capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it helps, it helps them. Sometimes they just tell you where you're going and then other times they allow you to pick and choose depending on what your test scores are and uh, oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's wild i'll tell you uh where i'm at now i'm working with the, the most intelligent human beings in the world i, I joined the army at 17 i took the test and i i, I probably uh I'll, I'll grimace at my score uh but i would say it was like a 62 which is like middle of the pack right so it's one to 99 and it's where you fall percentage wise with those that are taking the test and uh, I'll tell you, I scored 62 and my recruiter came out and he's like, daggum, man, like you're the smartest kid that's ever taken this test. You're qualified for just about everything. So what you're going to see on this is, is what, what you're qualified for is everything. But there's only certain things that we need right now. And, you know, it's a little bit of blowing smoke up my tailpipe uh, because I wasn't qualified for everything for sure. And uh, it took me for this ride. And being a recruiter and I got there and I understood a little bit more. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I've been believing for the last 10 years that I'm the smartest cookie in this whole thing. <laughs> Turns out I'm not. <laughs> Turns out I'm not. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, you know, follow it back. I'm a chaplain and I'm talking to these kids and, and I say kids, they're warriors. They're, they're adult men and women. And some of them are just like, Hey, I'm, I'm just so stupid. And I'm like, bro, tell, bro, tell me some more. Like, like, where are you from? And I, I hear the story and I'm like, Hey, listen, like I used to be a recruiter and you had to take the ass up. We're just scoring the ass up. And I kid you not, Dave, they'll be like, I scored a 99. And I'm like, and you, and you believe you're dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm probably the dumbest guy here and i'm like listen brother what do you think i scored on that thing and they're like i, I don't know but you're a smart guy 
I'm like, you just think I'm smart because I'm wearing officer rank or I'm wearing a chaplain rank. But brother, I scored like a 62. I'm dumber than a box of rocks, you know? It's it's amazing how, you know, you, you start that process of going in and, you know, you, you're kind of built up at first and then you go to basic, you're torn all down. Then you get rid, built back up. You're able to perform the, the job that you went in for. And then you still have those insecurities about yourself and you find out, wow, everybody else is just like me. It's not so bad. Oh, man. I, I mean, and then we're, we're recruiting and sending people at 17, 18, 19 years old, right? Uh, my wife, you know, she'll tell the story when we meet people and she'll be like, you know, Art deceived me. Uh, my wife's Jessica, the greatest human being alive, by the way. Um, and she's in the same one that I married when I was 18. But she'll be like, Art deceived me. Uh, when I got with him at 18 years old, he had no body hair. Like I had no facial hair. I had no chest hair. And, and she's not into like a beard. Obviously we talked about that earlier and she's not into like chest hair or stuff like that. And she's like, this is bogus. I mean, I hadn't even, you know, become a man at that point. And she's like, you know, a little bit disappointed. She thought I was like this slick, you know, no facial hair kind of guy. And, you know, fast forward 17 years later, she's like, what is this like stuff sticking out of your shirt collar? Like, what do you want me to do? I can't do anything about it. <laughs> but um, you're 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 right. We we take some some of these kids on just such an enormous transition. Uh, to to myself included. Yeah, that's a funny story because I could totally relate to that. When I met my wife, when I didn't have no hair, I didn't have any hair on my chest. I could I I didn't I had peach fuzz on my face and they made me shave it. So hey, oh yeah yeah I thought you were gonna say she didn't have any hair on her chest and now she did and I was like that's awkward bro. <laughs> it's a new world we live in it's okay either way you're right whatever you're into <laughs> so um what you- like I, I wish we weren't on a podcast right now because that's so this is so awkward it's a recording you know they're gonna edit it all out brother at least sure. i hope so no i'm keeping this in i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Dave's wife yet, but I'm going to. She's going to kill me. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for the first part of our story. For part two, tune into the next episode of the Homeland Harris Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Harris Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting DairyCam.org. Today's episode is sponsored by Elliott Health System, providing quality, compassionate care to our community for 130 years. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>